0: Quick plug: we, We've drawn attention to this in this series, but uh, I just want to invite all of you as we talk about calling during this series. Uh, we, we have a tool, um, a, a little initiative that you can be part of called Calling Lab that Brendan has put together. He's done a great job. He's created some videos. It's it's really lightweight and low maintenance. Um, it, it's something you, you kind of do online, you, know, you just get like a, a daily email, a devotion, uh, some scripture to read, some questions to ponder, sometimes there's a video to watch, there's an opportunity to have some connection you know, on midweek, um, really to just help people uh, discern God's specific calling in their life. We're, we're all called, but uh, your specific calling and context, and I just encourage you to check that out if you haven't checked that out yet. Alright, well let's continue. Um, We are continuing a fall series called Called Out. Okay, called out. And basically we are calling out everybody to remind you that you are called. You have a calling. Everyone who names Jesus as Savior and Lord is called. Because with covenant relationship, when you enter into relationship with Jesus, what comes with that is kingdom responsibility. Okay, you can't just have covenant relationship. When you have covenant relationship with God, you automatically now have kingdom responsibility to represent the king wherever you are, to, to bring his kingdom wherever you are. And we've been using this, uh, this series quote, and I'm just going to keep refreshing us on, on this because this is so simply true. The heart of God's call is this, that we receive and live the love of God for us and for the world. The vocation, no matter what your job is, your vocation as a Christian, the vocation of every Christian is to live as a follower of Jesus today in every aspect of life, in small and large acts, with family, neighbors, even our enemies. We are to seek to live out the grace and the truth of Jesus. This is our vocation. This is your calling. This is my calling today and every day. That's the heartbeat. That's the the center of of, of this series that we're in. That's what this series is all about. And last week, and and I just got to acknowledge, I sort of rambled a little bit at the end last week. I I rambled, you know, I don't know if that has anything to do with um, where I went to high school. Our mascot was the Ramblers. We were the McBain Rural Agricultural School Ramblers. Hopefully they just say public school. Now we were the McBain Ramblers, so I'm used to it. I'm a I'm a rambler. I'm a I'm a verbal processor. I'm a visual thinker. You know, I, 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 so when I'm not clear on something, I just start talking about it a lot. You know, my wife like hates that. She can tell when I don't talk to people during the day because I overload her with conversation. She she loves it when I have people to talk to during the day because it's a little bit easier on her. I'm a verbal processor. I, I, I verbally processed with you all a little bit last week, so I acknowledge that. I, I I apologize for that, um, but last week, if you remember, if you were here, we looked at the story of of, of, Jesus, of Moses, right? We looked at the story of, of God, you know, in Moses, in Mount Sinai, in the Ten Commandments, and we, we kind of reframed that whole story. You know, God, through Moses, led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, out into the wilderness, and a few months into that journey, he brought them to Mount Sinai, and on Mount Sinai, um, God entered into um, he, he sort of solemnized a covenant relationship with the Israelites. And if you look at the Hebrew language that we, we looked at last week, um, that was more than just, uh, you know God commissioning a people. Sinai was a wedding. Sinai was, was God inviting a people to be his bride, to, to, to be his partner to be his spouse, to, to, to be a people on mission as, the, as his bride in the world. And that reframes it, doesn't it? I mean, um, the, t- the Ten Commandments are not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's, it, it's wedding vows. Here's how you should live as my bride. Here's how I, I, I expect you to live. It, it reframes it because at Sinai, you know, God commissioning and calling a people, it's not like a boss giving employees instructions. It's the God of the universe inviting a people to be His partner on Earth, to be His bride, and it's really, really powerful. And uh, you know, and where I started to ramble, I think last week, is I was just trying to acknowledge that I recognize, you know, just like the Israelites in the Promised Land, like the the, the bride of Christ today um, in North America, has sort of gone to the sidelines, like we, we, we've sort of, um, you know, just like the Israelites in the promised land, eventually we're led into exile, you know, like I feel like the church in North America is sort of in exile, but we're not the prominent cultural center anymore, but that doesn't mean we still don't have a mission, we still have a mission, we still have a mission to represent the king, to represent, you know, our husband as the bride of Christ here on earth, to, to to seek the welfare of the city, God has called us to be His church, His partner, His bride, and we have a mission to represent our King. So last week we we just kind of I just wanted to remind us of the big picture upward dimension of our calling, that who we are as a people, we are the bride of Christ, we are we are the church, you know. And we have a role to play um, in this world. And today, what I want to remind us of is there's also an inward dimension. There's an inward dimension to our calling. And I want to build off where we left last week, and, and that's this. Here's the big central idea if you want to write this down God's call is to a people, not a person. God's call is to a people. God has called a people. Not a person. And I'm going to tell you why I think that, but first let's pray. Lord, this morning we're going, to, we're going to dive into two big stories in Scripture. And as we open up this word, Lord, we acknowledge and we believe that, that we are who this word says we are. That we have all that this word says that we have. And so we can receive it with joy and with confidence and with authority. And and Lord, we don't want to just receive it for ourselves this morning. We want to receive it so that we can be a good bride. So that we can be a a helpful partner to you uh, in, in the kingdom bringing that you're up to in this world and in our midst. So speak to us, Lord, for your children are listening. Your partner is listening. Amen. God has called a people, not a person. Why do I think that? Well, I want to go back to the very beginning, even before the beginning. I want to go back to the very first chapter in the Bible, to the book of Genesis. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to find the book of Genesis, which is super easy to find. It's the first book, okay? Just start opening your Bible and you will find uh, the first book, Genesis, and I, I want to go back to the creation story because I, I think there's so much for us in the creation story. Whenever we wonder God's heart, God's intention, God's desire for us, just go back and look what he meant it to be. And then you have a clear picture of, of, of what he wants for us. And, and I want to go back and just, I just want to have some fun reading this story again, reading this poem, reading, reading this creation narrative. And uh, again, um, I invite you, like if it's, If you receive, you know, stories best by just kind of closing your eyes and trying to picture it, go ahead, okay? Um, I'm going to read Genesis 1, and I'm going to read it uh, from the message, just to kind of hear it a little bit differently than what we're used to this morning, okay? And then I'll tell you why I think God calls a people, not a person. So just hear this foundational story. First this. God created the heavens and the earth, all you see, all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. God spoke light and light appeared. God saw that the light was good and he separated light from dark. God named the light day, he named the dark night. It was evening, it was morning, day one. So right from the beginning, you have a sense and a picture that God is up to bringing shalom, bringing peace into chaos. He continues, God spoke. Sky in the middle of the water, separate water from heaven. God made sky. He separated the water under the sky from the water above the sky. And there it was. He named the sky heavens. It was evening. It was morning. Day two. God spoke. Separate waters beneath heaven gathered into one place, land appear, and there it was. God named the land earth, and he named the pooled water ocean, and God saw that it was good. God spoke, earth, green up, grow all varieties of seed-bearing plants, every sort of fruit-bearing tree, and there it was. Earth produced green seed-bearing plants, all varieties, and fruit-bearing trees of all sorts. God saw that it was good. It was evening, it was morning. Day three. Like it always begins, God spoke. God spoke. Lights come out, shine in the heavenly sky, separate day from night, mark seasons and days and years, lights in heaven's skies to give light to the earth. There it was. God made two big lights, the larger to take charge of day, the smaller to be in charge of night, and he made the stars. God placed them in the heavenly sky to light up the earth. And oversee day and night to separate light and dark. God saw that it was good. It was evening and morning. Day four. God spoke. Swarm ocean with fish and all sea life. Birds fly through the sky over the earth. God created the huge whales. All the swarm of life in the waters and every kind and species of flying birds. God saw that it was good. God bless them. Prosper Reproduce, fill, ocean, birds reproduce on earth. And it was evening and it was morning, day five. God spoke Earth generate life, every sort and kind cattle and reptiles and wild animals and beautiful white tailed bucks, all kinds. I added that part. <laughs> and there it was. Wild animals of every kind. Cattle of all kinds. Every sort of reptile and bug. God saw that it was good. God spoke. Listen to this. Let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature. So they can be responsible for the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, the cattle. And yes, Earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of earth, God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female, and God blessed them, prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take charge, be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. Then God said, I've given you every sort of seed bearing plant on earth. Every kind of fruit-bearing tree, given them to you for food. To all animals and all birds, everything that moves and breathes, I give whatever grows out of the ground for food. And there it was. And God looked over everything that he had made. And it was so good. So very good. It was evening. And it was morning. Day six. Heaven and earth were finished, down to the last detail. And by the seventh day, God had finished his work. And on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy. I want to go back to three verses. Genesis 1, 26, 27, and 28. This is so, I think, theologically loaded. God spoke. Let, let who? Let Let me? No, he said, let us. Think about that. Let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature. Such a little word full of huge implications. Here's the truth. We can't forget this or miss this. God is community. God exists as community. God is a plurality. Of persons. I mean I, I, I know we talk about three individual persons. When we try to wrap our minds. Our, our feeble human minds around the, the glorious. Concept and truth of the Trinity. We talk about three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But God is a people. Of persons. God is plurality. God is community. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I can't explain it, but, but they exist in this beautiful oneness, this beautiful relationship where, where each individual person completes the other, orbits around the other, serves each other, loves each other, partners with each other. I mean, it's this beautiful idea of, of oneness in community, community, family, I would suggest. It's the DNA of God. God exists as family. And we're created like him. We're created in his image. That's why, you know, if we were to keep reading into Genesis 2, that's why, you know, God says, even before sin entered the picture, God says, something's not good. Something's not good. Adam's alone. Adam's alone, he he needs a partner. He needs a, a human partner so that he can have what we have as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Needs community, needs family, needs partnership. So God created Eve. A partner. You know, and then just play that, play that thread out, play, play that heart out, you know, throughout the, the whole biblical story. I mean, when we get to Abram, you know, and God first hints at like a covenant with a people. You know, God maybe starts with an individual, a person, but He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I'm going to bless, you know, you and the nation that you will become to bless the world. I mean, it's always about a people. We talked about it last week, right? At Sinai, God, like, He's working through Moses, but He chooses a people. He chooses a people not a person. Even when you can find examples in the scriptures where it looks like God's choosing a person, it's always for the benefit of people. It's, there's always people in mind, plurality in mind. God's MO for kingdom bringing is through people, is through a, a, a people, is through a family. You know, even like fast forward into the New Testament, like even look at how Jesus does things. We're gonna get into that in just a second. But, but, but when he sends out the 12 or the 72, it's never alone. It's always as community. It's always as family. The, the, the minimum least denominator in the kingdom of God is two. Even when Jesus sends people to get a donkey, he sends two. There's something about like, like the nature of God that now is reflected in us that we're made to be in community. We're, we're made to be family. God is family and he chooses to work through family through spiritual family through family on mission so I just want to look at a story this morning in the New Testament in the book of Mark so if you have a Bible turn ahead to Mark chapter three so find the New Testament Matthew Mark it's a second book in the New Testament find Mark chapter three and here's what I'm going to ask us to do I'm going to read this story and I'm going to ask you to really pay attention not that you don't ever, but really pay attention in, in what, what's gra- what grabs you from this story, okay? What grabs you from this story? Just to give you context, you know, in the Gospel of Mark so far, here's what's happened. You know, John the Baptist has prepared the way. Jesus was baptized. You know, he declared that he's here to bring the kingdom of God. He's tested in the wilderness, um, you know, he he starts to heal people. He starts to drive out demons. Uh, you know, he spends time with his father. Uh, he heals a man with leprosy. Um, he heals the guy that was lowered down through the roof. You know, and he also forgives his sins. Um, and then, uh, you know, he does some teaching, some more healing. Crowds are following him. He appoints the 12. And then we get to Mark 3, verse 20. And I'm going to ask you to really listen in what what grabs you from this story? And then I'm gonna ask you to maybe write it down and, and even share it real, real quick with somebody next to you. So just, so, so listen, what grabs you about this story? What, what speaks to you? What makes you uncomfortable? You know, what stirs you? What do you like? What don't you like? Listen to this story. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd had gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, They went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. And the teachers of the law, who came down from Jerusalem, said, he's possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He's driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him, and he began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom can't stand. If a house is divided against itself, that household can't stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven of all their sins and every slander that they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an external sin, an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying that he has an impure spirit. Then listen to this. Then Jesus' mothers and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him. And they told him, your mother and your brothers, they're outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here's my mother in my brothers, whoever does the will, whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. Just pause a second. Like, what, what in that scene grabs you? What makes you question? What's Jesus trying to teach us? I was going to take some time and have us just turn to each other and just share, like, here's what grabbed me from that story, but I just want to pay attention to time this morning. We'll just kind of, I'll just kind of take a lead on that. What what can we learn from this story? What's the point of, why is this story in the Bible? What's God trying to teach us by, by, you know, inspiring Mark to include this this scene, this story? Well, there's, there's a number of things that probably you grabbed onto that made you pause, that made you wonder, that made you think. I mean, some of them, you know, maybe uh, just kind of surface, maybe some of them really deep. You know, like like an observation I would make, just kind of a big general observation is, is I think it's kind of cool when, when, when Jesus is in the house. I mean, literally, when, when Jesus is in the house, people flock to that house. You know, it starts to make me think about my home. You know, like, is Jesus in the house? Like, when Jesus is in the house, like, like, people naturally flock to that. You know, I, 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 I'm struck by, like, um, Jesus and his disciples are, are so involved in paying attention to the people that are flocked to the house, the crowd. Like, they, they forget to eat. I don't know when the last time I forgot to eat was. I'm always thinking about me. But here's Jesus and the disciples thinking about everybody else. You know, they're, they're, they're blowing past their own needs, putting other people's needs first. I love that. I'm convicted by that. What else? Is anybody like just a a tad uncomfortable on on how Jesus seems to treat his family in this scene and how he seems to treat his mom? You know, his family goes to fetch him. You know, they they think that uh, he's sort of out of his mind a little bit. And uh, you know, so um, when, when the word kind of comes through a, meet, you know, through a messenger, like, hey, your, your family, your mom, your, your family's out there. Like he, he doesn't even go out. He, I'm a little, like, that make you uncomfortable a little bit? Like, he seems kind of disrespectful to his mom. And we know Jesus loves his mom, right? I mean, go fast forward to the cross. And uh, Jesus is suffering. He looks down and he sees his mom and he, he makes sure that, that one of the disciples is going to take care of his mom. Right? Like, he loves his mom. That's not in question. But So, so what, why is he being like this? You know, what, what's he? I, I think this is Jesus making a very important point about who's family. About, about who is family. Like, what constitutes family in his life? And that family is bigger than just biological relatives. Family's bigger than just the people that you're related to. I think a big thing, though, for me in this story is just this simple yet profound observation that, it, that, that Jesus, though the Son of God, found it necessary and important to, to do his ministry with people, to do his ministry not alone, to do his ministry like in community as family. Jesus, like even right before this moment, like it says He He appointed 12, He called 12 men to be part of His life. He invited 12 people to, to enter into His life and to do life with Him. Why why did the God of the universe find that necessary? Was it because it was necessary and He needed help? I don't know. I, I don't think so. On the one hand, He's God. But yet, he's also human, you know, so maybe the, the, he, he did need some help. But, but I, think, I think it's simpler than that. I think it's more profound than that. Go back to the creation story. God said, let us, let us make man in our own image. Jesus is used to doing everything in community with the Father and the Spirit. That's his that's the only way he knows how to live and to be is community. And I think like when he left heaven and he left the Father and um, this, you know, the Spirit, I'm not saying that he didn't have access to them, but I, but I think when he became a human being, one of the first things we see him do in his ministry is create new family around him to do ministry with. That was a big deal. That was important. That was out of his nature. I think he he did it because that's how he knows how to do things, is in community, as family. And I think he did it because he wanted to give us a picture of what he desires for us. To give us a picture, Jesus created family on mission. What do we mean by family on mission? I just want to give us a quote, okay? From a book called Family on Mission by Mike and Sally Breen. Some of you have heard this before. It says, family on mission, what do we mean by that? It's how we stop thinking of discipleship as a task that we do, and we start living out discipleship as a way that we are. Family on mission is how we stop doing discipleship as a class, as a program, or a curriculum, and we start living it as a way of life. Here's the bottom line. Discipleship and mission never really work unless we are able to create the texture of family on mission. Without this texture, this soft tissue of family on mission, this discipleship stuff will just be another program that we'll forget in a few months and mission will just be another activity we do to fit into our already busy schedule. If we're going to make disciples and move out on mission, we need to go from managing boundaries between compartments, I love this part, between compartments of our lives to integrating family and mission into one life, a cohesive framework and fabric that empowers a culture of discipleship and mission, not just occasional event and periodic programs. This is what we're going after as a church family. This is what we're, we're, we're going after. We, we mustn't limit discipleship to just knowing the right things. Discipleship isn't just knowing the right things. It's living the right way. The goal of discipleship isn't content. It isn't learning a bunch of, you know, truths and principles and life shapes. I mean, all, all that plays a part. But discipleship isn't just about content. It isn't just about putting stuff into our heads. It's community and it's mission. And for Jesus, family and mission weren't two separate things. It wasn't, you know, Jesus never said, well, Wednesday night, you know, that's ministry night and then Sunday's family day. They were not two separate things in Jesus's life. Jesus didn't compartmentalize ministry and mission and family. Instead, what we see in this story is Jesus redefined family to include those that he was on mission with and mission to. And you know what? That's incredibly freeing when you can begin to see life that way and live life that way because now life is mission and mission is life. It's not two separate things. It's an integrated life. Like I said, it's what we're seeking after. It's what we're going after. It's what we value here at Victory Point. And we've come a long ways. And we still have a long ways to go. And maybe that's just the way the journey always is. I look at it in my life. That's true of me too. I feel like as I look back, you know, I've come a long ways. But yet, I still have a long way to go. I still have a long way to go in, in living an integrated life. My life continues to be a work in progress. I think for the longest time, if I'm honest, and maybe you can relate to this, I think I really tried hard to do family and mission. I viewed them as two separate things. You know, here's my ministry life, here's my family life. And very seldom did those two things intersect. And it was exhausting. It really, it was was exhausting. I tried to be everything to everybody all the time. And I still struggle with that. Which is when you come to this realization, don't you? That if everything's important, nothing's important. Isn't that a great truth? If everything's important, then really nothing is important. Something has to be important. And I had to decide, like, like what's important for me? What's important for my family? And, and what it came down to is, we're going to try our best to learn how to live an integrated life of family on mission, not family and mission. Jesus says, you know, who's our family? Our family are those around us, with us, who do the will of the Father, who bring the kingdom, who make disciples, who love people. I want to I orient my life around that type of family, no matter what I do for a living. How did Jesus fulfill those callings? To, to, to love God, to love people, to bring the kingdom, to make disciples, to save the world? He, he did it in community. He, he did it as family on mission. So what does that look like? what does that what I discovered along the way is i i can't keep like adding that to my already busy life you know i I had to make space for it you know how does family on mission become our way of life you have to you have to make, i had to make space I had to say no to some things I had to find some people family on mission doesn't just happen it requires intentionality so so for me for us for my family um what, what helped us begin to, to live this out is we decided to join a missional community here at Victory Point. It's not the only way. It's a way. It's not the way, um, but, but we joined a missional community, and this is what, you know, in case you're here for the very first time, like maybe, like you don't know what we mean by that. For those of you who've heard this like all the time, like you can just take a time out for a second. Here's what a missional community is. A missional community, a mid-sized group of people, let's say 15 to 40, includes kids, Who learn to live and interact like an extended spiritual family as they seek to join God in revealing Christ's kingdom in a specific neighborhood or relational network. Their lives together revolve around growing in relationship up with God, in with one another, and out on mission in their specific context. Sum it up this way. It's a house full of friends tangibly declaring and demonstrating the gospel of Jesus Christ to a specific pocket of people. In in truth be told, missional, and I hope you you hear this correctly, missional community isn't the goal. Our goal isn't to get everybody in a missional community. Our goal is to be a church where we all learn to live as family on mission. Missional community is just like the training wheels. It's just the the vehicle that helps us learn to live this lifestyle because it's so countercultural, you know, to most of life. It's just the context and the environment and the vehicle where we, we learn to, to live this way. And like I said, it's just a expression. It's not the only expression. You know, like, like I, I've, got, I've got family on mission in my life outside of missional community. I mean, let's just be clear on that. Like, it doesn't have to be called missional community. It doesn't have to look like missional community. You know, family on mission are the people in your life that, that you have a regular orbit with a, a rhythm around that, that that pour into your relationship up with God you know that, that become family to you inwardly and, and push you out on mission that, that keep you accountable that, that ask you questions about you know how are you living out the kingdom in your everyday every moment context, whether it 's a specific you know missional focus or, or a general one so I, I just you know i 'm looking at the time but where who is that for you? who is that in your life right now? could be a missional community, could be somebody else like but but who is it in your life right now that helps you discover and discern and live out your calling that that fuels you that feeds you that keeps you accountable like who who is your family on mission right now it might be a really small family you know um, might be a big family but but who is that and I'm not I'm not talking about just having like friends or relatives who are Christians. I have lots of people in my life who are friends and who are relatives and who are Christians. you know, and when we see each other, we, we celebrate life together and, and we we spur each other on but I 'm talking about wh- who are the regulars, who are the regulars in your life that that you have rhythm around that show up on your calendar on a regular basis um that like man this isn 't just something. You know, in addition to my busy life, this is how I'm choosing to do life. This, these are people I'm choosing to do life with right now, in this season, in this context. And I know that can change. You know, like like some of you in here, um, you know, like uh, you have seasons where like you orbit in and out of this place. You know, summers you have cottages over here, and winters you have places over there. I get it. Like that, that's okay, that's cool. Someday I might have that kind of thing. But wherever you are, like in those moments, in those seasons, like, who are those people? Who are the people that you've intentionally invited into your life and are investing in, um, you're, you're journeying with, that, that you, you, you spur each other on up in and out in your dimensions of life? I mean, in uh, on the one sense, we are one big family on mission. Victory point. This is a church family, and we are on a big mission to, to bring the kingdom to our family, our community, and our world. And we do that by making and multiplying disciples. That, that's, a, that's one big family on mission. So at the very least, I mean, I, I pray and hope this is an expression of family on mission to you. But, but don't settle for just the, the big Sunday morning family. Like, like, who's family for you right now? In this moment, in this context, in this season? Because it's, you're, you're created for it. You're created in the image of a God who does everything in family on mission. As family on mission, as Father, Son, and Spirit. What's it look like to reflect that in our lives right now? Just to get real practical, um, then we'll invite the band up. But, you know, maybe you're like, I don't know. I don't know what the next step is. Well, you know, we've been talking as a leadership lately, and um, we're not that great at providing next steps either. (laughs) So that's something we're working on. Like, what are next steps for people that want to take a step towards family on mission? But um, we do have missional communities. If you ever want to just taste one, try one, you are invited anytime. We have, I think, six now missional communities. And you can go to our website and you can view them and you can see when they meet and and where they meet and and what their missional focus is. I encourage you to, like, you can contact the leaders of those and talk to them, ask questions, maybe go try one out. Um, If you look in your, your handout today, Like we have a real specific opportunity. Like it's right there where it says you are invited. Um, One of our missional communities is the Great Lakes Elementary missional community. That's the missional community that makes the hand-to-hand thing happen. You know, that kind of drives that and provides like the volunteer power for that. Um, Well, they uh, this year are gonna meet twice a month here at the church, like right in that room over there. And um, they're throwing open the gates of invitation like, if you ever want to come and help pack bags, help pack 115 bags of food, you know, um, you are welcome to come join them. And then while you're there, you'll get just an experience and a taste of, of what their missional community rhythm is like, what it, what it looks like for them to try to be family on mission together. So they're meeting this Wednesday at 6 o'clock in there. You're welcome to come. Just come on, bring some food, do like a little potluck kind of thing, but uh, come check it out. And, uh, you know, it, it, or you can contact, you know, Dave and Betty Johan. There's an email address there. No, there's a five in the email address there. The one in the e-news is missing the five, so use this one. Um, but, but come just check it out. And you might experience it and decide like, yeah, that's cool, but I don't know if this is the one for me. Try out a different one. Or start one. We'd love to help you start one. It's really, really simple. You know how you start like a family on mission? You identify one other family or person that uh, the, the, the you feel like, you know, is a person of peace to you, and invite them into your life. Create a predictable pattern, like, hey, what if we meet like every, every Wednesday, or what if we meet like every other Wednesday, and uh, let's, let's get together and have some food, and let's start praying about what it would look like to invite others to join us, and, and let's, let's start discerning where God maybe is calling us to be on mission. And you just start simple, and you just start that way, and you see what happens, and you see what, how it builds and grows, and we'll help you with that. So that's always an option as well. Whatever it is, whether it's a missional community or not, um, I hope you catch this morning and, and really start thinking about, like, you are created in the image of God. That means you are created to exist and live in community. And not just community for the sake of community, but, but community for the sake of, of kingdom bringing and mission. That, that's who God's created you to be. He's invited you as a, invited me and us as a people to be his bride. Like, so how are you being intentional about that? How are you being, um, you know, uh, intentional? That's, I can't think of any better word. How, are you being intentional with that? What does that look like? It, I know there's a cost. You know, we can't just keep adding things to life. It needs to, we need to create space. We need to decide. Discipleship for me is more than just knowing stuff. It's a way of life. Discipleship and mission is going to become lifestyle. I'm not going to do it alone. I'm going to do it with people. So I'm going to invite the band up, and as they come up, why don't you just take a minute and just reflect and just receive from the Spirit right now What's, is anything stirring in you right now? Is anything rising up? Is anything bubbling up? Like a, a word of invitation, a word of challenge, you know, uh, a, a next step even. Like whatever that is, like receive that in this moment as God speaking to you. Don't ignore it. Don't miss it. Write it down so you don't forget it. And, and as you receive that, if there's any sense of like, well, here's the next step. Maybe it's, I'm going to go taste a, a family on mission type experience this Wednesday. Or I'm going to explore a different one. Or I'm going to lean into some people that I already have in my life. Or I'm going to be more intentional with some, some people in my life. I don't know what it looks like. But whatever it is, if, if God's speaking to you, receive it. And what does it look like to act on that? Would you stand with me, please, Lord. Thank you for inviting us into family. Thank you that when when sin severed that family relationship, that that Jesus said, "I'll go," and I will fix it, and, and you restored and invited us back into family relationship you adopted us as sons and daughters. Thank you that you've invited us and commissioned us to be your partner in this world, bringing the kingdom wherever we go, inch by inch, moment by moment. But Lord, you you never desire or expect us to do it alone. You expect us to do it the way we were created to do it, and that is as part of a family, a family of God on mission in his world, bringing the good news of the kingdom of God wherever we go. Lord, whatever that looks like for each of us, I I pray that that we don't settle for anything less than that, that we do the hard work of initiating and being intentional and going after, because these things never just happen. Um, We've got to invest in them. I pray that you'd spur us on today to do the hard work of living as family on mission for the rest of our lives. May it be so in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's sing.